Like you, you almost want one to die before the game ends. If you're if you're in a close game and one Vic didn't die, you might have messed up uh, because you basically left some value on the table in that demise trigger and getting the plus to deafen willpower for the rest of the game on the other one. Howdy friends, Craig here, another deep dive, this time for the Outcast Master Victoria Chambers, or the Vix. My favorite deep dives are when the guests don't play the keyword exactly the same way, and you're going to find that here with these two guests. We go over how each of them build their crew, what are their key tech pieces, how do they handle different schemes and strategies. We also, of course, cover how much they've changed since 2E. Lastly, we spend some time talking about the strategies and schemes and gaining grounds season one and talk about what we like about them and what are some of the potential problems. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into the outcast master Victoria Chambers and how the mercenary crew works in Malifaux third edition. My guests today are Cody Hyatt and Maria Veland. Now, you know Cody from his great deep dive on Terra, as well as a little podcast that I'm a huge fan of, Swamp Fiends. Now, he plays out of the Southeast Conference and is currently ranked first nationally in the USFO Tour. So, Cody, welcome back to the third floor. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Shout out to the floor heads. But uh, <laughs> That's right. isn't Canada in USFT now? So I'm actually number one player in A, not just nationally. <laughs> you're, you have in, you're the number one player, Cody, in the entire continent now. Nice. <laughs> I love promotions without work. So, so um, first off, how's, uh, how's it been being a uh, podcaster? It's fun. I don't do as much work as you in the product shows. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's just a lot of fun. I'm just like inviting on, you know, our friends and stuff and chatting about the game. We did like one episode where we watched one of the hex bag, um, battle reports and we just commented over it. And that was an absolute blast. And I would love yeah. to do that. Like more if people could tolerate the content <laughs> or maybe I'll just do it for us. I don't know. It, it, that's a cool idea. I mean, one of my dreams is to have uh, when we can get back to like having people on the third floor is to film a whole battle report and then have the players come on afterwards and do kind of like a director's commentary on it. Yeah. Similar idea. Very, very cool. And now Maria, she's new to the show. Um, she's a physics teacher in London. And Maria started playing Malifaux all the way back in uh, first and a half edition. Now, the first crew she owned were the Victorias, and as an Outcast player, she held second place in the UK rankings for a good bit of time. Now, she's well-known as one of the more effective and experienced Vix players in the UK. So, Maria, welcome to the third floor. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a joy to talk about the hobby. <laughs> so, Maria, question for you. This is a question we ask uh, all new guests. Is How did you end up playing Malifaux and finding miniature games? Uh, well... As most people probably, I started with Warhammer and Mordheim, so fantasy and Mordheim. And when that got a bit 
expensive slash boring because you couldn't really change much. I just, I have some friends who just jump on every new game and Malifo was the one that stuck. Very nice. Now, um, so you talk about like what, what brought you to Warhammer though? So at one point in time, you did not play miniature games and then suddenly you did play miniature games. And what, what, what brought you to it? To, um, it was actually I started role playing when I was 11, 12 years old. And from that, um, it went into some friends' heads and I started playing a little bit of more time. So just a few miniatures. And then, well, it's always the friends. They gave me a army box, wood elves for my birthday. And from then I was hooked. So it's, yeah, friends dragged me into. <laughs> gotcha. So they gave you the first miniatures for free and then they got you hooked. And then suddenly all the money starts leaving your pockets, right? <laughs> yeah, like drugs. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, guys, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk uh, and focus on the mercenary crew and the Victoria Chambers. We're going to dig deep into how both Maria and Cody build a mercenary crew, how the crew plays, and some key tech pieces that they bring in based off of the strategy and schemes um, or even what the po opponent declares. We're even going to talk a little bit about how to counter this mercenary crew. So, Cody, let's start with you. Can you pretend that uh, the listeners have never seen the Victorias on the table, have never played against Victorias? What kind of style of master is Victoria Chambers? I uh, expect it might vary depending on play style. So one thing I want to say right out the gate that I love about this crew is they um, seem kind of boring when you read their cards. But the more you play them, the deeper they are. And they really reward excellent positioning. So... You can sort of get away with a lot of different play styles in terms of like your aggressiveness, your defensiveness. Some people like them shooty. Some people like a melee. I tend to think that they're like a skirmish crew and that they are going to take, you know, they're going to scaffold out bits that they can without over committing. And uh, they're pretty good at turning small little advantages into points, which is a big feature for me comparing them to the rest of the outcast uh, stable. And how about you, Marie? Do you find them as flexible as Cody does? Yeah, totally. It's I agree with the cards look boring, but the one thing is all stats are quite high for an average. So you have fairly high defense, fairly high melee, anything like that. The movement is fantastic. So the way I see them, every single model in that crew can do everything. And it's a lot of people think from second edition of Victorias are just those slaughter beasts. But Borg 6, 3 AP, they can just be everywhere and do things other than killing. And that is counts for the whole crew, really. Yeah, I think that um, kind of one of the blockers for some people is that uh, the Vix changed a good bit from second to third. They were a little bit of a one-trick pony in second edition. And I think in third edition, if you're looking for them to do just that one thing, which is to slaughter everything, they're not as good at it as they were in second edition. But then again, you know, third edition is less killy in general um, with the way the damage output is done. But um, I think one of the hidden things, and we're going to probably delve into it, is the flexibility that you and Cody are talking about. So, Maria, what, obviously one of the big signature things is that, you know, this is a double master, right? So you hire Victoria Chambers and her totem is another master. Um, so you automatically get six AP. Is there anything else you consider to be signature, not only of the Vix, but of the mercenary crew in general? Something that makes them unique? I think it's the movement. The It's not the fast transporting movement Molly, for example, have. It's just every single mini can be places in 
not not much time. And I think what's a little bit signature, at least for me in my playstyle, is that every model can do everything. You don't have one dedicated model that needs to achieve those two strategy points or those two scheme points. Is you can flex every single model into every role. Some better, some worse, but that's part of the crew is every model is valuable every model die can die easily but it can be replaced by any other model in the crew that's nice so you, you're seeing a, a situation where if you may lose a model that you were hoping to score scheme a you have the rest of the crew that has the potential of doing that do you see that same flexibility um across the keyword tony yeah um Craig, you're such a good host um <laughs> but yeah battle tempo is like the keyword sort of signature ability and i think it's worth just basically reading it at this point which is that during the start phase this model may push up to two inches in any direction and just like the rest of the keyword that sounds pretty boring uh, but when we get to the like second level play battle tempo is so insane um in what it facilitates it can make any model a scheme runner yeah it can make any model an ap sync Right. So if, if they're about to kill something on two HP, you push it out, push another model in melee. You got to deal with the one in melee now. Right. There's yep. it, just the all the untapped vectors that you don't see just looking at the cards is what makes this crew really fun to play. Just like hiding behind a building and then start phase push out. Now you're in charge range. Um, it makes this crew super flexible right there. And to clarify, Cody, when does that ability take place again as far as timing? Is it the actual start of the turn before any activations occur? After the initiative flip. Okay. Because the, the beginning of turn phases is you determine initiative and then you resolve any uh, during the start phase effects. And that's nice, too, because then you have the ability and the flexibility to, to decide how you're going to do those pushes, knowing who's going to go first. Yeah, you can push out of cover in charge with that model first activation or you can push everything behind stuff. Yeah, that's huge. Now, um, like we talked about with second edition, obviously their offensive capabilities was the big thing for them in second. And, and out of curiosity, Marie, because I was not familiar with them in uh, first edition, was that the same thing at first edition? They were just uh, slice and dice killing machines? There were slice and dice killing machines. And as opposed to the last two editions, they also didn't die. You only count they were one. So you only got assassinated if both died and you could with a very high masks turn any Ronin into a Victoria again. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> terrible. It's in the context of first edition where everything was broken. So it wasn't just that and everything <laughs> else was normal. But That's funny. Um, so, Cody, let's talk about their offensive capabilities now. We know it's not quite what we saw in second. Yeah, so um, if you played second, you sort of remember them ignoring everything they ignore like hard to kill hard to wound armor all that stuff they don't have any of that really on on the bigs themselves so um mitig so any sort of reduction is is a bad look for them in general but they still have the stat seven which is kind of their feature um and they have good triggers um they have a decent damage track it's like uh, three four six so that's severe that's is nice good. um but it's not like I, you know, there's 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 crazier things in the game, right? You're really sort of leveraging that stat seven to do things that are guaranteed. I typically don't find that I'm sending both Vix at their master turn one, which was a thing that was like kind of their what they did in in in, in second edition. 
I find myself like taking what I can for free, knowing I have an 11 and a 12, like what scheme runner can I can kill guarantee they can't stop it. And then I can leverage that AP advantage throughout the rest of the game. Um, it's also worth mentioning that their gun got pretty decent relative to the rest of the game. Now, they have a bonus action that if they're not within six inches of each other, they get a plus flip to the attack on their gun. So you can surprise people a lot, and I have a lot, with um, just that gun. Because it has um, the Parker damage track, so it's two, four, five. Um, so you can really, you know, if you hit moderate on a wheat, on a neg, you're, you're, putting, you're cranking out damage. So now that we got a sense that, you know, granted, the Victorias aren't maybe the killing machines that ignore everything like we saw before, but those damage tracks, especially on the gun, are, are nothing to laugh at. And the one, the kind of the unspoken thing that's you have to keep in place for all of this is we're talking about six AP masters here. We're talking about a double activation masters here. So uh, we don't have just one master with that damage track. We've got two models on the table that can both deliver that type of damage. But Maria, what I'm curious about too, is what's keeping them on the table. Is there any defensive tech that uh, saves them from being taken off? Um, so stones is the first thing that jumps to mind. So they're <laughs> okay. still fragile as they always have been. So their defensive abilities have not necessarily improved that much. The fact that they're two and you have to kill two and they have a big range and you can choose how to commit them, that is the best defense you have. It's not necessarily anything. There is an upgrade you can take that gives them how to kill, which in a lot of situations will keep them alive a lot longer. But that is really it. The rest is be careful where you commit them. Don't think you can chuck them into very expensive models or killing masters and expect them to survive. So I'd be curious, Maria, how many stones do you usually bring with them? Seven or eight. Seven or eight. How about you, Cody? My default crew has nine. Um, it's yeah. interesting. So I would like to hear your um, opinion, Maria, because when I started playing the Vix, I was rocking the hard to kill upgrade on both Vix and uh, also played with Servant a little bit for the hill, extra hill when they kill. But the more I played them, the more I found that having both of the Vix alive at the end of the game wasn't really a win condition. Like they usually needed to run off and start scheming anyway. So having them alive, uh, taking their extra uh, swings on turn five wasn't really doing much for me. And I was investing the four stones in the two upgrades. And I found that if I just brought the four stones, I could use them defensively if I needed, but I could also, if I needed to hit a bunch of their really nice triggers and convert offensive pressure to defensive pressure. So I don't, what, what have your, what's been sort of your evolution with the upgrades um, on the VIX? I never take them really because I always, from first edition, I play, I, my play style overall is quite aggressive and dismissive. If my opponent focuses a lot on killing the victorious, then I have all other models to do it, the schemes and strategies around it. Mm. And if they just throw a little bit at the victorious, then stones and healing, and they heal by killing other things, um, keeps them alive. So I don't tend to take the upgrades. I have seen them, and they can be incredibly useful and annoying, but I'm not sure taking paying two stones every single game is really worth yeah, it. Yeah, agreed. In the end. So, Maria, I'd be curious. Um, it sounds to me like um, there's kind of like two different types of masters and keywords or two two buckets that I've put them in. One is 
uh, a master dependent bucket, which um, Cody, you talk about what does the board look like? What does the situation look like on a win versus a loss? And for some, some keywords, if they lose their master, the keyword is in trouble, right? Things start to crumble and they crumble quickly. I think of Seamus as an example and Red Chapel, but this sounds like uh, based off of, especially what you're saying, Maria, is that you could lose both Vicks at the and looking at the end of turn five, both of Vicks are dead and you've still won the game. Yeah, easily. It's a lot of the other models you have there are very good as well. And as I said, is yeah, if the Vicks die to one activation of an opponent's model, you're in trouble. But if your opponent had to commit a lot of resources into killing both Victorious, then you had so much more time with any other model to do things. And that is the just making making them stick around long enough with stones and healing for the opponent to not have an easy time. And then you don't need them. Very nice. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, all of the other models. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about how both Maria and Cody build a mercenary crew. We're going to talk about what their core crew models are, models that make every uh, every list. And then we'll talk about how they flex out to versatile and maybe even out of keywords. So we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3 by 3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. All right. So, Maria, generally speaking, I find with uh, these deep dives is that almost everybody has a handful of models that they always hire. Now, the Vicks are unique, right? Because the first thing you get is your totem for free, but your totem is the second master. Um, but beyond that, once you've declared Vicks, what is the first model that is always going to be in almost every crew you build? I guess the first one I would take, and I think it's one that not everyone would take, is Vanessa. 
And what does Vanessa do? For the healing. Um, she is the third sister, so she shares some of the um, rules with the two Victorias, but she's more, she heals, which is incredibly important for the Victorias. She has very good ranged attacks. She um, has intuition. That means she looks at the top three cards at the start of her turn, which sometimes, if you look at good cards, guarantees you a success in whatever you want to do. And yeah, she's just generally really annoying. And it's very <laughs> important for the opponent, depending on the game, to kill her. But in the end, they're not getting that much out of killing her other than making their life later easier. But she herself would not score me any points, but she makes the victorious able to score more points. So as a healing model, Marie, do you find her spending most of her heals on the Vicks themselves? So she's staying close to them? That really depends on the board. As we discussed earlier, the whole crew is so flexible that she can be places if she needs to. She usually hangs around, depending on the board, obviously, but on a standard board, around the back middle Mm -hmm. she's good when she's on the center line but if the opponent is very aggressive then she hangs back a little bit more but i say she's she is where she can get to any centralish position the easiest how about for you cody do you do you bring vanessa in in almost every list 100 percent. she's like insane um so before so just like a sort of a segue into why i bring vanessa um i think that uh, maria uh, sort of plays Vix as a sort of a first master a lot. Like that's, if, if you want to say it, it's like her main or whatever. Right. Um, for me, Vix is probably like my fourth master. Um, I try to play all of Outcast. So when I'm looking for a Vix pool and what I want, what a game state looks like where I'm dropping the Vix, um, it's something where, of course, I'm leveraging the speed. Of course, I'm leveraging the AP advantage, all the pushes. Um, you know, it's like a schemier pool or something where I need to be in a certain position. But also a thing that is very important for me is the VIX have a way of gaining a resource out of your chaff, which is a very important thing in two certain crews right like your summers or something even though that's probably a bad matchup because summer's insane <laughs> uh, <laughs> in that the vix uh whenever they kill a model they have an ability called end of the fray where all of the vix heal but also vanessa has this ability so when vanessa kills a model the vix heal as well so nice. not only does vanessa have this overt heal um she also has an insane gun and when she kills something she heals the Vix too, just for, you know, killing. And um, she becomes, so she has an ability when she's standing on the center line, she becomes stat eight with her gun and a built-in home to draw with a surge trigger. So if she gets to the center, she can kill a, like one of those squishy models. That's also very important. Like she's a great totem hunter. Um, and if she's killing that totem, she's healing the Vix. She's getting her two surge triggers. Drawing cards is insanely important because, you know, outcasts don't have arcane reservoir uh, access really outside of Hannah. Um, so we're just drawing a six. We don't have card draw in the faction really. Um, mm -hmm. The Vix have a card cycling trigger, but that intuition is insanely important both for seeing cards and her surge is very important for drawing cards and then into the fray just i mean she's insane like i i wouldn't i think she's been in 100 percent of my games 
So out of curiosity, Cody, I mean, that center line upgrade she gets by being there is, is a big deal, right? Having that tone built in, having the uh, uh, stack go up to stat eight, which is pretty gross. How, I mean, what's the decision making there? How much are you willing to risk to put her out there? Or is it just if the opponent allows me to do it, I'll do it, but I'm not going to push for it. So one of the advantage of playing the VIX is uh, you're risking something either way. Like Maria was saying, if you try to kill the VIX, well, I got other models. You know, you can't really protect everything in this crew. Something's going to die before, you know, the game's over. If it's Vanessa, then it's Vanessa, you know? Um, right. If it's not, I generally uh, like to put her behind a building. I like to walk focus, put her behind a building where she can battle tempo, walk to the center line, turn two. If that's not an option for me, I feel like I might have misplayed turn one. Um, okay. You know, barring corner deployment, you know, something like that. Yep. So, Cody, after we hire Vanessa, what is the next guaranteed hire for you? So, Big Jake and Ronan are kind of in the same, like, area for me in terms of, like, my next thing I'm looking for. If I'm playing Vix, I'm bringing Big Jake. That doesn't mean that Big Jake goes into every pool, but when I'm dropping the Vix, I'm dropping Big Jake because... And what does Big Jake do for you? Uh, so, he has Don't Mind Me, uh, but probably more importantly than that is when he dies... He comes back on to, he, uh, he summons a new copy. It's a new copy, which is very important, which I messed up in, the, in like beta. Um, <laughs> it's a new, it's a summon. So Big Jake comes back on turn five within two inches, I believe it is, of any friendly model, and he can interact that turn. So something's dying in Vix, right? And if Big Jake dies, you're getting value out of it. So you're laughing. Right. And with schemes like Hidden Martyrs and GG1, stuff like that, he's like a really good pick for that because that's a scheme where you want something to die which on its surface seems like a bad proposition like my strategy is that i get models killed that seems but with big jake he dies and you're still getting value out of it how about you maria do you bring in big jake uh yeah it pretty much standard all of my games unless i have a reason that i need the stones more because it's in addition, he also has, you need to cast it, but he can look at the top two cards if I think he needs a six for that. And you can put the cards either back on top or in the discard pool, which is a nice zero action to do. Because even if it doesn't go off, then you wasted a low card from the top of your deck. Yeah, if that's it a goes good point. Off, then yeah, and it um it ties to what Cody was saying, which is you guys are starved a little bit uh, for cards because of the card draw. So even cycling is uh, is good for you, and that's something that um, people don't think about um, very often when they see something like that ability on Big Jake, and it's got a target number six. And you've already said to yourself, "I'm just going to top deck this, right? I'm not going to cheat this. If I get it, great. If I don't get it, great." Well, if you flip and get it there's an advantage and benefit to that. But if you flip and don't get it to Maria's point, you've just gotten rid of a card that's less than a six. So now, uh, now you're in a in much better shape. Um, Maria, is there any other, um, unless, well, actually Cody mentioned the Ronin. Do you bring in the Ronin almost in every crew? And oh, why, definitely. what do the Ronin do for you? Uh, they are fast. <laughs> so in addition to the two inch push they have at the start of the turn after initiative, at the start of their own activation, they push another three inches. Ugh. So they move five inches across the board before their activation. So it's almost like a three AP model, just the one AP split into a movement around. And that gets you into combat, out of combat. That gets you to things you have to interact with b before you spend an AP on it. So it's incredibly, they're hard to kill as they always used to be. So their stat line has not changed 
massively from the past, they are for scheme runners fairly hard to get rid of. Right. And if you pitch them against other scheme runners, they usually do quite well in that as well. And so how, how many do you bring in Maria typically? Uh, it sounds like one's guaranteed. Do you find yourself hiring two or three? Uh, two mostly one for each flank. I don't know Cody how you use them, but I usually have them on the flanks trying to scoop up intercept scheme runners and do stuff better need to be in the corners. Yeah. I, I usually bring two. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it can be overstated how strong these are for six because they're getting the three AP sort of based off movement. They also have flurry so they can even do three attacks. Um, They ignore armor on their melee attack just straight away. So if um, like Vix can't kill ashes and dust, but add a roll into that combination. Now you can kill ashes and dust. Right. Um, So that's a, I think I feel like they're just very important to have and hard to kill. If you had to, have me pick which defensive tech I want on my scheme runner. It's going to be hard to kill. Yeah. Um, the thing when you're buying a cheap scheme runner, the thing that makes you really sad is when like, you know, uh, like let's say Archie goes into them. You're like, mm-hmm, you've committed Archie to my scheme runner. <laughs> Silly move fool. Um, now he's off on the flank, but then like Archie flicks flips uh, a severe, you know, flips red and then he kills it, and then he walks back to the center, and you're like, oh, well, I, I've wasted this positional advantage that I was hoping to get. But with hard to kill, you're just guaranteed that they're not going to kill it without a certain amount of AP. So that's right. I think it makes it way safer. And a lot of the games I win, like my Ronin are on one AP. I mean, one HP, but then they, they drop three ski markers while being on one, a, one HP. Yeah, and it sounds like that they have enough offensive threat that uh, the opponent needs to be very careful about it, right? So it's not the no-brainer scheme runner, I'm just going to run up and pop them with anything because they aren't a threat, they're just fast. Where it sounds like with the Ronin, not only are they fast, <laughs> to say the least, but um, they're also a, an offensive threat. So Maria, after Ronin, um, is there any other models that make up your core crew? Um, probably Bishop and Taylor in keyboard. so... Both of them have, well, Bishop, if you choose a trigger, with Bishop, you can choose a suit to add to his trigger. If you choose Rams, he has a min damage of three, so has Taylor. And with that and the two Vicks, you bring a crew where four models have min damage three. Ugh. And three out of the four models have Melista seven, one has six. So that, that, that goes back to my earlier argument. Yeah, feel free to kill the Vicks, but then there's Taylor and Bishop standing around doing pretty much the same. And yeah, Bishop's movement. So he has chain gang, standard push, pull a model three inches along, move three inches himself. That makes any other model faster and himself. And he has three AP still. So no brainer there. And Taylor with her rush charge is pretty fast as well. So that is my four killing models to start with. And there the opponent has lots of choice to kill any of those. Right. And You've got some redundancy. Yeah, yeah. And boy, every single model you two have brought up, I hear movement trick this, movement trick that. And then on top of all of it, we've got the uh, the keyword uh, movement trick over. How about you, Cody? Are you bringing in uh, Bishop and uh, uh, um, Taylor? Yeah, yeah. So this is where we diverge. I basically only take Taylor as a ruthless answer if I need them for terrifying. And Bishop just doesn't do it for me. Um, but... I think the reason, so I've talked about this on my cast, like 
Um, there's a play style that I'm like very bad at that. It sounds like it's Maria's bag, which is just sort of like a threat saturation play style, which you, you saw a lot of in two, like, um, um, I saw some very good players run this sort of similar style where you're, um, you're basically leveraging every sort of angle you can and, you know, kill something. I still have these two thirteens in my hand and they're going to hurt regardless of where I put them. Right. Uh, that's just something that I'm not particularly good at. Um, I generally play kind of defensive, kind of cagey. I like I like the Vix because they control space just on the fact that they're move six and with the battle tempo. So I'm usually playing on the edges of the board. I'm leveraging the fact that you have to walk charge me and I only have to charge you. Mm-hmm. Um, so Taylor and Bishop don't do it for me because um, every severe in my hand is going to the Vix. So I find that they don't top deck well. Um, so they're not making the cruise for me. Like I'm fine with a run and top decking. Like she's going to push away and she's going to score her schemes. She's going to flurry. If she needs to Bishop, like Taylor, especially her big advantage is that she's uh, stat seven. So she looks like a Vic, but she has the two AP, but if you don't have the severe to make that stat seven matter, um, they it just can't top deck. Uh, well, it also sounds like, and uh, the stuff that's been mentioned on the pod here before, which is, you know, when you take a threat sat- or saturated crew, um, you have to be very good at it because it, it, the mis- if you make mistakes, the opponent can capitalize on it. And calling back to something we talked about before with Maria, she's, you know, this is her main, right? And I would imagine, Maria, you have found over time, you've gotten really good at minimizing those mistakes. Uh, I would like to think so it has been a learning curve since second edition because the game has changed for the victorious specifically a lot but yeah i think for me it's also it is a big threat saturation and i give the opponent the choice but the good thing is all models can flex into being a scheme runner so well bishop with three ap and the victorious it's for me it's yeah you only have a certain number of 12s and 13s in your hand and the victorious might need it, but sometimes the victorious have killed what they needed to kill. The opponent doesn't go anywhere cl- close to them. So they drop ski markers and my good cards are then available for Bishop and Taylor. Right. So it's, I guess that, that where the play style massively diverges because I don't play cage at all. I play all out aggression in most of my games, which sometimes is my downfall, but <laughs> most, mostly it works. <laughs> it works until it doesn't, right? <laughs> so Cody, um, are you hiring any more keyword models or do you start looking at versatile and out of keyword at this point? Yeah, pretty much that's it. Um, and then I start looking for versatile out of keyword. I will bring Bishop and I will bring Taylor. Bishop having the pass tokens trigger is also like super cool. Um, leveraging activation control can win you games. So, um, I like him for that. It's just, he's not, he's not a default option for me. So, uh, let's talk about versatile models. Is there any versatile models that are, uh, very common hires for you, Cody? So I'm going to, so my crew that I'm going to say people are probably going to dislike, but what I like is, so I'm usually bringing my two Ronin, and I'm bringing big Jake. And again, I'm playing like a schemey pool generally where i want to be like i'm bringing vix over parker because my models need to stand somewhere like like parker's there for the he has like an interact advantage but the vix have a positional advantage in terms of playing like a schemey crew and and they're not usually making it into the killy pools for me because levy is like god king savior of the faction um 
so when I'm building out the rest of that crew, there's about 16 points of flex. And a second master could come in there fine. But what I found that I like most is Barbaros. Interesting. In the versatile slot and a scavenger. So Barbaros without a scavenger attached is poo-poo. He's very bad. Um, But as soon as you give him fast and focus with the weird device, he heals up the damage he takes. Uh, His damage track is very bad unless you're hitting focused attacks. So what Barbaros does for me is he is there to use exactly one card and then die while bleeding. Um, Because all of my severes are going to the Vix. Barbaros gets one, like whatever's in that slot, you're only getting one card, dude. So I want you to get the most advantage out of that one card. So Barbaros is taking like one focus attack into a totem, killing it, and then just black blooding on people while he dies, Mm -hmm. hopefully slowly, maybe fast. Um, So the scavenger's there so that he can like actually do that job. And Vanessa with a scavenger is also very good. So typically when I'm running this crew, a scavenger, like Barbaros will walk focus, scavenger will make him fast and focus for next turn. Um, or he'll make Vanessa fast focus for next turn. And then he'll do the other for the other. He'll, he'll make the other fast on turn two as well. So on turn two, I have the threat vector of Barbaros going in with a focus attack into a squishy model or Vanessa raining blast damage on you with potentially two focus and fast uh, with that stat eight gun with the built into home, all that good stuff. Maria, do you find yourself bringing in Barbaros? No, pretty much. The- Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> We're running out of stones at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> between Bishop and Taylor, that is the point that Cody talked about, those leftover flexible points. Right. And it's Barbaros and a scavenger, but for me it is Bishop and Taylor mostly. That makes sense. That That's makes sense. My standard eight models. <laughs> Um, how about upgrades? So we talked a little bit about the upgrades in the first segment. We were talking about uh, the the uh, masters themselves. Do you guys find yourself putting uh, any upgrades on any minions or any other of these models, Maria? No, no, no. I don't think <laughs> I don't think the outcast upgrades are really worth the stones at all. Maybe the terrifying one on a hanged if you play Jackdaw, but. In the Victorious, I don't see any of them being worth more than having two soul stones available. Gotcha. S- same position, Cody? Yeah, they're like, each upgrade in the faction has like two models you can put it on in the entire faction. They're all pretty meh. Uh, Cody, you mentioned uh, potentially a second hire, right? So you're, you have the f- you're not hiring uh, Bishop and Taylor, so you've got a little bit more stone flexibility. What uh, What's some good second masters you've brought in? Parker and Zip are always good second masters if the scheme pool require like if they're if you're playing into sabotage, spread them out, uh, leave your mark, you know that kind of pool. Uh, Parker's a decent little pick because he can just scoop up scheme markers and he can have the like his ability to if he does damage, discard a card, have a model take an interact is not keyword only, so he can have the Vix kill. Stuff. I mean, uh, Vix can kill something and then he can go and do some damage later and have it interact, drop a scheme or pick up that uh, symbol of authority, stuff like that. Zip, you bring him when you need even more positional advantage. Like I said, I'm not usually um, having the Vix storm into like a master turn two, something like that. So um, 
if the pool, so in GG1, if there's like a claim jump, leave your mark pool, a lot of people are going to try and play that. And if I ended up with VIX in that pool, I would probably bring in Zip just to run interference for that center stuff, center, um, those, somebody trying to get a score four easy center points. Um, my favorite meme list though, is I bring, uh, Victoria's Parker zip oh. three and then three prospectors. That's exactly 50 points. You're generating three stones a turn with the prospectors. You still have, um, what is it? Six significant models. You have the out of activation interacts, uh, you got four masters. I call it plot armor. It's pretty fun. <laughs> You're getting pass tokens out the yin yang, right? <laughs> well, no, you you have uh, what is it? Uh, you have seven models. Oh, okay. Uh, you got four masters. Ugh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I wonder why the UK doesn't allow master hiring <laughs> when I hear stuff like that. <laughs> so, guys, let's take another break. When we get back from this break, we've hinted at um, different schemes and strategies, but I want to focus on that. I want to find out which schemes and strategies uh, these guys think the VIX um, went out on. So we'll be right back. Howdy, friends. Here on the third floor, you'll find us playing Malifaux and other tabletop games using Mats by Mars. Their mats are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet-erase marker compatible, and lighter than neoprene. Their mats use a new material that eliminates almost all glare, which is perfect if you're filming battle reports or you're under some glaring lights. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a print or design, and then choose an overlay for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition strats and schemes. The overlays will speed up your deployment and the placement of all of your objective markers. Until the end of September 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR920 to get a 10% discount on your next order. The promo code is in the show notes. When you place your order, don't be afraid to tell Mats by Mars you'd like a Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat at no charge. It's the only way to make the best mat in the market even cooler. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR920 to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. One of the things that makes Malifaux different, obviously, is the ability to build your crew once you know what the variable wind conditions are. Um, now, we're in gaining grounds one right now. Um, so I'd be curious, Maria, of the four strategies, is there one strategy that you just love for the Vex? Um, it's probably a toss-up in between corrupted ley lines and symbols of authority for me. So quite historically, people would think Vex are good at their very killy strategies but they are squishy so they can kill but they're squishy so they for me shine where killing comes in handy to deny the opponent points but the biggest thing is that they have to move to spaces quickly and interact quickly while being surrounded by other scheme runners and weaker models they can take off and that's what those two strategies focus on more is that you have to be at varying places you have to compete in spaces with the opponent and if you're the one who can survive that competition then you come out on top that's a really good interesting point marie because we talk about um really kind of a, the mobility i think is the big reveal right the big change that we see for the victorias is victorias were you know had had 
mobility tricks back in two, but now we're seeing it across the board, right? We're seeing an entire crew that has an amazing mobility. And we're seeing a lot of these strategies and schemes in Gaining Grounds 1 have to do with um, being in a specific place at a specific time. And I like your point of saying, I can make sure that my model's there. And if you're going to compete with me on that space, I'm going to just kill you. Uh, because I do have that type of output. How about you, Cody? Where do you, what strategies do you see uh, as Vix being a viable choice compared to the other uh, Outcast Masters? Um, yeah, it's like Maria said. I pretty much agree with Maria. I I like compared to the other Outcast Masters, they most stand out in corrupted ley lines. They are good at symbols, but I feel like they're exceptional at corrupted ley lines because it's one of the few strats in gg1 that actually rewards spreading out there's a lot of mosh pitting in the current packet and uh they're good at that and then they have their mobility is pushes as opposed to place mm -hmm. so you're not hampered by the lodestone being on one of your models so a ronin moving 15 inches if positioned correctly can walk from one one marker to the other um but uh you know like your necropunks can't do that. They can't yep. place. Um, and then above that, they also have the final sacrifice where they kill themselves and you get two cards or two stones. So you can run over to a lodestone. You run the lodestone over to a corner next turn, kill yourself. And then it just teleports back to the next position you need it. It's super strong. Um, yeah, they're very good at symbols too, just because. Uh, so where I'm taking Vix is... So the part I the point I bring the Vix is when the space uh, on the sides usually matters and not the center because while they are good at killing stuff, if you get into like a long drawn out skirmish, especially with someone who brought like a slow crew that's really right. tanky, you're gonna find yourself not being able to wade through all that stuff. You know, if you're in a position where you have to send the Vix into the master to sort of like kill that summoner or you know something like that then that's an option obviously but generally i'm taking them when it's like an interactive pool but where my models need to stand is also the biggest lift right, right? so you bring parker when uh, needing extra interacts is the biggest lift and you bring vix when positionally it's the biggest lift so, Maria, the, the strategy is corrupted ley lines. You're super excited about that because we've established that uh, the VIX are good into that. What are one or two of the Gaining Ground 1 schemes that you think match up as well? So, if we're building your dream pool for the VIX, um, what, are the, what are one or two schemes that you think that the VIX excel in? Um, I usually, I like Vendetta. I know it's not necessarily that easy to achieve the second point, but I really like it. And it's... Um, yeah, the rest, I think one scheme marker um, scheme I like. I don't like both because that kind of just takes away too much of the killing AP I need to not get overrun by turn three. So one of the search ruins, breakthrough depending on the deployment zone, any of those. Oh, search ruins doesn't exist anymore, but any of those where you have to have scheme markers around where a strategy might take place anyway. So with one extra leftover AP, you just drop a scheme marker. And the other scheme I like th that it rewards either killing or dying. So Maria, I think there's listeners right now that were surprised to hear Vendetta was the first one that you brought up. Can we dive into that a little bit more? So why, uh, what is generally an unpopular scheme, what, what is it about the VIX um, that makes Vendetta um, something that you like? Uh, 
I take it quite often, not always, but quite often on either Vanessa because she can, with looking at the top cards and anything else, get a decent damage drop on mm -hmm. the model I pick. And then finishing off that model with the rest of the crew is usually not a big problem. <laughs> Keeping her alive, that is any, <laughs> as anything in that crew difficult, but it's challenging and it, it needs to look at the opponent's crew. If the opponent's crew is just set yeah. out for killing, winning by killing, then obviously Vendetta is a very, very bad choice. But if my opponent can't really get to Vanessa because they don't have the mobility or the guns that ignore any type of cover or ignore line of sight, then it usually works. And if it doesn't work, then the opponent, if I run Vanessa away to try and save her, the opponent has to put mm -hmm. in a lot of resources. I might not score that second point, but I should be able to score other points or deny the opponent's other points because it's a trade of resources. And, and that's something for everybody to keep in mind is that um, sometimes, you know, the second point might be hard to get. But to Maria's point, if you've got the opponent having to sink a ton of AP to prevent that second point, then you're still coming out potentially with a win. How about you, Cody? What are some schemes that you just love to see? Um, breakthrough and spread them out um, are the two that I'm mainly looking for. Um, breakthrough is really speaks to Vix because that's it's interacty and it's positionally important. Mm -hmm. Um, while spread them out, Parker can do because he's getting schemes and he kills models. Uh, but Vix are also very good with spread them out, like sabotage is down a few rungs in terms of the scheme marker schemes I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then from there, I'm usually taking one scheme that I'm getting like a point out of like easy, an easy point with the option for two. So hidden martyrs is like a good example of that with big Jake and Vanessa, big Jake's going to die. I'll just take that one point. If Vanessa, you know, Maria and I find ourselves in the same position after uh, scoring the first point with vendetta and hidden martyrs, right? We both have to keep Vanessa alive for a second point. Um, but Scoring the first point, I think, is easier because I just had to walk Jake to the middle and let you kill him. Uh, <laughs> uh, leave your like, leave your mark, maybe, just because leave your mark is so easy and everyone's going to take it this season. I mean, yeah. So I'd be curious, um, Cody, if um, I'm on the other side of the table from you and I find you declare Vix and I look at the pool, is there anything that I should just stay away from? So is there any anything that the Vix hard counter? You don't want to pick a Ronin for a named scheme. Like you don't want to clear Vendetta on a Ronin because I might accidentally kill her just because I'm like, I need two soul stones. And then you're like, oh, dang, he just accidentally stole two points from me. Uh, same for, um, you know, Vendetta or take prisoner on a Ronin, something like that. So stay, stay away from those name schemes. How about you, uh, Maria? Is there um, schemes that you've seen your opponent declare that it turns out that they just can't score because of the VIX? I not quite as extreme, but what I find is people look at the VIX, they look at the um, number of health boxes, which is very low and think, oh, assassinate is incredibly easy. And, I found it's incredibly easy to get one point by just killing the Vic. Making the Vic survive on less than half wounds until the end of the turn with the amount of healing I have, with anything that goes on that either I decide, okay, she's going to die, so I'm not even going to stone. You just kill her outright, so you only score mm -hmm. one point. Or 
sometimes I just, Vanessa comes in, the Victorious kills something, and she always bounces back over half wounds. So getting that first point can be, depending on the crew, incredibly difficult. Yeah. It's I could definitely activation advantage. Right. right. And, and I would imagine Maria too, you know, it's in the pool, right? So you start seeing them go in hard and try to, and what, and get them below half and then kind of stop um, that that's your signal. Right. And then now you're in a situation where you've got a ship ton of healing. And then this is the key point I would think as well as all of that mobility, right? So once they've revealed that um, or you've hinted that they've got that assassinate or even they scored the first point on you, you can then get out of dodge and really do a great job of um, potentially um, blocking that first. How about you, Cody? Do you think it's uh, dangerous to take assassinate against the Vicks? I think uh, you could get a point out of it, like Maria said, but like outcasts don't have a lot of agency in preventing that first point anyway. Like you can get it on Levy, you can get it on Parker, you can get it on a lot of our masters. Um, the second point is where it becomes pretty tricky. And like Maria said, the, the Vix player knows it's in the pool. And one thing we didn't talk about earlier is their demise effect. So when one Vic dies, the other one heals three and gets pluses to defense and willpower for the rest of the game. So if you know assassinates in the pool and you know your opponent likes to take it, you can send in your totem Vic and have her, you know, swing a couple times, hit a couple ram triggers, do some AOE damage, um, and then be like, well, what are you going to do? Not kill right. her? Uh, but when you do, you're going to make your assassinate very difficult for the rest of the game. Interesting. Interesting. So guys, what I'm going to do now is we're going to take one more or take another break. And when we get back from this break, I'm going to talk to them about second level play. So things that Maria and Cody have figured out about the VIX that weren't immediately apparent in their first couple games, things that they picked up once they got the reps in. And we're also going to figure out some of the weaknesses and counters to this mercenary crew. So we'll be right back. Hi there. This is Owen from the Nova Open. And I am a $5 patron of Third Floor Wars because I love supporting the whole Malifaux community. I want to help Craig and the whole Third Floor Wars team continue making the fantastic content that gets me through my daily commute. You should join me in supporting the show. Just pause this episode, head to patreon.com and search Third Floor Wars or grab the link in the show notes. See you there. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month, $5 a month, $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. The reason we're able to bring you this podcast every week, as well as all of the content on our YouTube channel and via our Twitch, is because of the 110 patrons that help support us. I want to give a special shout out to these patrons who are the ones that have given us the most since the start of our Patreon. So big thank you to Nick Westbrook, Craig Chuba, Kevin Smith, Stephen Morris, Sam Newman, James Hahn, Ambrose Ingram, Jeremy Peace, Corin Soles, and Carl Lee. Because of you and the other 100 patrons, we're able to do what we do. Thanks.
So this is always my favorite segment on uh, every deep dive. I, I like to find out um, things that are hidden. Uh, that when you just read the cards, when you just start to learn the crew, you're not going to notice, uh, but you figure out as you go later. So Maria, as somebody who's uh, put in a lot of games with the Vix, what are some things as, in third edition, when you started playing them in third, you didn't really figure out until you got in several games? Uh, I think one of the biggest thing is what we just talked about is the amount of healing and to use that wisely to balance your resources and keep the Vix alive just as long as you need it to and to not be afraid of them dying. So a lot of people coming to the Vix come from the point of view that your master is your linchpin of the crew. Without the master, everything crumbles and the Vix are not that. They are just another mercenary in some ways. And that is interesting. just one of the biggest reveal. And I think Cody nodded there. It's, I think, one of the biggest points of the Victorious. They are expendable. Well, and you guys have both talked about the flexibility of the crew, which which means that you guys can shift gears, right? As the game state changes, as as things are um, are shifting, uh, the mer- sounds like the mercenary crew can can switch gears. Did you find that hard to do initially, Maria, or is the are they so flexible that it's easy to go from I'm going to go to kill to scheme and back and forth? It's a big change because I played so much Victorious in second edition where it was just the kind of kill first and then think about the schemes. (laughs) And that was one of the bigger changes is like, you don't kill first anymore. You need to do both. And that's, that's the third edition in general, but it's also for the VIX. Killing is not plan A anymore. It's part of your toolbox, but it is a toolbox and that shifting. So it, it means with the Victorious, I think they're, to play them really well, you need a lot of practice in different scenarios. If you use them like I use them, if you use them like Cody uses them for a very specific reason, then it's probably easier. If you want them to do everything, you need to be incredibly flexible and respond to what your opponent's doing. Yeah. How about you, Cody? What are some things that uh, new VIX players aren't going to see that they'll figure out um, as they get more reps in? Yeah, the healing is definitely a thing that you don't have to be too flummoxed about having to kill something that's blocking your way because you're going to get a resource out of it. You're getting the heals. And definitely, I agree with Maria. It's a thing that I really stunk with in the beginning, which was like I was bringing the hard to kill upgrades. I was bringing a bunch of stones. I was bringing prospectors because I wanted more stones so I could survive even longer. But then at some point, I'm just like, wait, if one of these dies, that's a resource. Like you, you almost want one to die before the game ends. If you're, if you're in a close game and one Vic didn't die, you might've messed up uh, because you basically left some value on the table in that demise trigger and getting the plus to deafen willpower for the rest of the game on the other one. Um, so like coming to that realization and, and realizing that, yeah, they are very expendable is very important, but also uh, I'll add uh, the sisters in spirit um, ability is, is something that you basically, um, structure your turn around sometimes. So that's the ability that lets when one Vic activates, the other one can place base to base with the one that activated, right? So you can get yourself out of dodge and you can open up all kinds of different attack vectors um, with that ability. And so I got some, I got some next level knowledge for you while we're at it. So the Vicks also have an ability to push towards uh, a target model with dragon's bite and they have an, uh, so 
when you read the card first, right, you think, okay, I switched her, uh, Sisters in Spirit, then I drag it by, push them both into melee, and then I hit my mass trigger that lets the other one attack. So they can go and just uh, make mincemeat out of them, you know, playing Fruit Ninja. Um, but someone on the um, Outcast Discord, um, I'll shout out, so James DFS actually did the math. So if you Sisters in Spirit, you can only be uh 42 millimeters away from the target to be able to use that ability to push both of the vix and have them both in melee that's because when you play space to base you have to place perpendicular and then you have to push towards the uh, target so for 30 millimeter you, you have to be 42 mil uh 42 millimeters away for a 40 it's 47 and for a 50 it's 52 millimeters away so you basically have to be right on top of them for that to actually work um right so that's uh some next level play that uh, it doesn't actually work. <laughs> I mean, uh, you kind of have to use Sisters in Spirit for setting up the second activation rather than thinking, okay, I'm going to Sisters in Spirit, uh, I'm going to push them into melee, I'm going to hit the mass triggers, I'm going to discard a card, companion in the other one, they're going to swing three times, I'm going to do 12 attacks. Yeah, uh, it doesn't really work. Well, and, and that's a great example, Cody, and it happens to everybody where when you're sitting there uh, on the couch going through cards, you start living the dream, yeah. right? And then when you actually put the models on the table, you're like, oh, crap, this is this might not work. Um, one thing I thought was interesting about what you said, Cody, about um, if one of those Vix doesn't die, I might I might have screwed up. Um, I would imagine that, you know, if you've allowed the opponent not to see one of those Vix as such a threat that they have to be dealt with, that they have to be taken off, you, you have played things wrong. Does that sound right? I think so. Um, I'm usually playing uh, the corners and stuff like that, but yeah, I, I would rather a Vic die than Vanessa maybe in terms of my in-game strategy and what, what I'm going to, what's going to actually transition into points. Uh, usually I just need one alive to score those schemes, but yeah, you, if there, if your opponent's not threatened by the VIX, then you definitely, you, you lost a crew selection. Um, interesting. And Maria, now we've already established that you are playing the VIX very aggressively. You're using a threat saturation type build. Um, are you finding it the same way? Like if I, if I have both VIX on the table at the end of the game, I may have lost this game. Yeah. Unless it's a, easy bin then yeah blow out <laughs> right. yeah. but um unless you're playing like jim like varney or something right it depends. <laughs> if i flex into the vix really running for schemes and sacrifice taylor and bishop instead then the vix might not die so it's it's more reacting to the table sometimes the vix is just oh i need to get over there well 18 inches of move can get me there can get me anywhere and then the Vicks are not actually anywhere where the opponent can threaten them. And it's not to keep them safe. It's just because they have to do something where I want them. And the right. opponent could not kill them where they were. And that's the... So I'm going to ask a tough question of you, Maria. Um, and the reason it's tough is because it's such a cont uh, contextual question. But with the style that you're talking about, um, what to be successful, you have to be putting on pressure and you have to be the one that's deciding where that pressure is, right? If you're, if you're coming in with a threat saturation and it's your opponent that's deciding where the pressure's going, you've lost. Um, so when you're in that situation and you're looking at a crew, and again, this is a toughie, um, so it'll be more like high level the uh, um, theory. How do you decide where you're going to put that pressure? Um, what, what are some things that you look at on the other side of the table and go, I am, I've got a ton of tools here to, to slam things down your throat. Here's where I'm going to decide where to go. 
in the beginning of third edition, it was like, I don't know that model. I don't know what it does. It's probably better than, <laughs> which is maybe not the best strategy, but um, yeah, it's models that I know can surprise me. They are either quite flexible in movement themselves. So if it's a slow moving beta, I know, okay, if I stay away, it's fine. If I go in, I might hold them up. But if models that can be anywhere at any point that can pull out the last minute ski marker somehow, those models are usually high up on my target list. And the models where I know, okay, they're for killing. It's, yeah, they're going to do what they do. Whatever I throw at them, they're going to kill it. But those models that where in the last turn is like, well, and then I do this, 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 and this, and suddenly I score two points. God damn it. So <laughs> things I might, I might not see coming directly, but I know they're possible. That's the, if I take that model out in the beginning, then it's not going to happen. And that, that is my highest priority is the pressure is where the, the kind of flexible and Swiss army knife models of my opponent are my targets at the beginning. So let's shift gears a little bit, Maria, and I want to talk about weaknesses and counters. So um, as a VIX player, what are things that the opponent can do or things that the opponent can bring that really make your job hard? Um, what are things you don't like to see happen on the other side of the table? Mm. Two things, levy and armor. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's talk through Levy first. <laughs> it's, it's just he is the perfect counter for the Vix in my experience. It's, he doesn't need to be that close with the right cards in his hand. And it doesn't even have to be that brilliant cards because he gets positives to anything. He can just take out a Victoria in one activation without putting himself anywhere close to danger. Not that even if he's in, he's not in danger because he easily comes back. I have nothing to stop the Mice abilities other than killing them twice, which is not easy with Levy. So he is yep. one that just counters everything the Vicks do really well. Usually I'd like to make my opponent work, but not being able to use stones to protect the Victorious, two times four damage, and they're dead. Yeah, and the armor's obvious, right? Because as, as much as we've talked about so many things that the Vix and the mercenaries can do, we've only seen, what, one trigger that ignores armor? Yeah, and it, I think it's the biggest change from the second edition, where in between the Mark of Shizul and the Relic Hammers, where it's kind of, well, you brought a crew with full of armor? Great, Taylor's going to have a field day, and Victoria is going to do min damage five, so I don't care. And now it's like, yeah. oh my god, armor everywhere doing one damage at a time. So I think the change yeah. makes it even harder to cope with. Uh, what advice would you give Cody for someone who's facing Vex? Um, yeah, armor and levy is bad. Um, but anytime I have to look at the Vix uh, willpower stat, I'm not, I'm not having a good time because they're only stat five on the willpower. So if you're attacking willpower, that stinks, which is another reason why levy is strong. Cause even it, it, like his gun is also, it attacks willpower. So they, a, a Vic can die to a gun on turn one again in the levy matchup. It's pretty rough. Um, and uh, terrifying is also kind of a problem for that reason. Um, that's why you would, you would side in, um, What's her name? Uh, Taylor, because she has mm -hmm. the ruthless ability, stuff like that. Um, those are, my, that's like my big, oof, oof. like Jack Doll is like a pretty bad matchup too, right? I bet, um, I bet. 
Um, so we've been talking a little bit like, you know, crews, like the levy crew sucks and a terrifying saturation crew sucks. I would be interested to know as a as a on the table strategy, Cody, like positionally or or gameplay or choices that are made on the other side. What are things that you don't like to see the other crew doing when you're trying to, uh, you know, score points? Um, play super aggressive. I'm not super happy with that just because I would like to dictate. <laughs> Uh, where positionally things are happening. And if you run at me, you're just like saying, you going to table me? And it's like, well, I guess I got to table you. So let's get, mm-hmm. let's, let's get to work, you know? Um, right. So I would rather play a, a more cagey game with them when I have the option to. Um, other than that, being out, you know, being just as fast is also a problem. Um, just if if you can, if if move six isn't enough to sort of leverage some sort of AP advantage, then you're kind of in a rough spot. Has there been any play, Maria, that you've seen where somebody really you know made some plays or made some moves that um, uh, you know exposed something that's potentially some weaknesses in, in the uh, mercenary crew? Yeah, I think a lot of teleport and transport abilities were. Yeah, as Cody said, if you're faster than the Vix, like different faster, mm-hmm. but faster, that really exposes them not being able to cope. And one thing that is also you need to be very careful with is the chip damage that comes from um, Black Blood and all of those abilities. Poison. Yeah. yeah, all of that, because nothing in the mercenary crew has many wounds. They rely on their defensive stats maybe a little bit more than just the number of wounds. And that is so playing against Kirai or Jackdaw and everything you do, and then you take a damage and you take a damage. That just ramps up very quickly, and that is you need to then change playstyle quite quickly, cut your losses, play for schemes as much as possible, and um, prevent the opponent from scoring without having to attack them too much. Very nice. Um, so, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, we're going to take advantage of the fact that um, because of COVID, everybody is uh, still pretty new um, to Gaining Grounds 1. And I want to talk to both of uh, these guys about um, the strats and schemes. I want to find out um, what their thoughts are on them and ask some very specific, um, potentially controversial questions. We'll be right back. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the US and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzoopsgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. I had uh, the developers from Weird on the show when Gaining Grounds 1 came out, and we talked through a lot of kind of the ideas behind these strats and schemes. Um, It was very fascinating to to really see um, some new ways uh, to play Malifaux. I think that's something that we really saw here in Gaining Grounds 1. Um, But... I'm also starting to hear rumblings a little bit about these. Um, I hear more questions asked about these strats and schemes than I think I've ever seen in any previous batch. So, Cody, let's start with you. Um, first off, I, I, even though they might be cool, are they just straight up too complicated? Hmm. Um, 
too complicated. I don't think that's where I would draw criticism on GG1. Um, like corrupted ley lines is probably the most complicated in the packet, but I think it's actually one of the best in the packet in terms of, you know, like playability and like something. So I think one of the biggest benefits of Malifaux is that the schemes make it where the matchup doesn't matter as much, right? Because mm-hmm. you want to pack it that when you generate a new pool, the game feels fresh because this is a smaller game and you want to be able to play against your buddy 15 times, Dreamer versus Jackdaw or something, you know? And Corrupted does a pretty decent job of that because you have to spread out and it's not just a, a mosh pit in the middle. Um, like the first place I would draw criticism in GG1 is Public Enemies because it's like, even worse reckoning it's like a, a dead <laughs> strat and i hate it um but well, well let's stop stop right there cody so like you know one of the things that they that was talked about with public enemies is we want to make reckoning better and why do you think it's worse it's way worse i mean it's it's patently worse um i i talk about I, I, I talked about this on your gg1 episode a bunch so i don't want to uh, complain about it too much but basically you can build a crew where um, your opponent can't score more than two points without tabling you starting, right? Just just on the list creation perspective. And then you add in the fact that models have to survive to the end of the turn. If you generate three points, then, and they only need two, they still have to spend all the tokens. There's just a lot of points that you get left on the board where I think it's just a strat where you score one or two. And if you score four, it's because they surrendered on turn two. Like, um, I just, it, it's not a, it's not a strat that has differentiation in that it can, um, the difference in the score reflects the difference in your skill with the opponent. So Maria, one of the things that I've heard talk about is, you know, people, you know, I, I don't understand the strat or they have to read the card three or four times, you know, to try to get their heads around it, or it's being misplayed. Um, some of these strats are being misplayed because people made assumptions about it. Um, do you, do you find uh, the strats too intricate or do you like what these new strats brought? I, I completely agree with Cody. It's, you need to get your head around, you need to read, but you have a whole rule book and each model has a lot of rules on there as well. So drawing the line that these strategies are too complicated, I think is kind of an arbitrary line. And they are worthy to prevent things like what happened at the start of um, gaining ground zero, Sarida obeying people to, yeah, you kill yourself and score for me in the same turn. Mm -hmm. So the need to be phrased in a way that some stupid one-trick ponies where you can't do anything against don't work and that's why they're more worthy and i love scheme uh, not scheme strategies where killing and scheming both is important and that's where i also think public enemies apart from the fact that it can be very hard to score against certain crews it's just killing a lot of abilities your models might have don't come into play while the other three strategies you need to be good at interacting to some extent, but you also need to be survivable and killable. So it includes every possible model in a crew while public enemy screams like tanky, heavy hitting armored models that they don't need to be that fast because they just need to survive and kill something eventually. So something, a gun that sits there with armor five would be perfect um, for that with nothing else on it. And that just limits the space Mm-hmm. In a tournament, you play a variety of strategies, so it's fair that one of those might be very different, but it's the least fun and intricate. And yeah, I guess the word count is one of the lowest 
for a reason. Right. That shows. But I feel like symbols is straightforward enough, right? Like, I feel like these killy strats are in here so that um, the barrier of entry to like a tournament is low enough so that new players can just be like, oh, well, kill, I can do that. But I mean, symbols is simple enough, right? It's just you go over there, you pick it up. Like, that's it. Um, so I don't know if those, those strats are needed. Like, like to what Maria said, Turf War is a perfect strat. I would yes. take it in every single packet because it's both killy and it's both schemy. And you can, if you find yourself in a bad matchup, you can play your way through it because it has that mm-hmm. sort of balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's multiple paths, right. Yeah. Um, in order to score. And if you get, if you get hard countered on one of those paths, you can take another path. Um, so one of my, one of the concerns that I had, um, you know, as I looked through these right from the very beginning is um, uh, we talk about barrier of entry and and new players. So Maria, I'd be curious, let's say that someone said, Hey Maria, I've got a new player. Um, Do you mind meeting them down at the shop and and taking them through a game? Do you, of the four strategies, what do you think is a really good strategy to introduce the game? So we we, want to show somebody that a, it's not so complicated that your head's going to explode. B it's not playing Warhammer or playing more Mahords. You know, there's something unique about Malifaux. Is there a specific strategy you think people sh- uh, should look at for demos? Um, well, now that uh, Turf War is not around anymore, probably <laughs> you go for, yeah, Symbols of Authority could be a good one because it, it shows the interacting part as much as the killing part in both ways. So I guess Corrupted Ray Lines and Recover Evidence is a bit more wordy, but if you explain yeah. it, it's not that difficult either. So it's Malifaux is a game with lots of different paths, different ways, different things you have to do. And like jumping in at the deep end is much easier. And if you play public enemies, then as you said, it's like, well, that's just Warhammer with eight models instead of 80, right? which is not reflective of the whole game. Then people will look at their card as like, so this one can jump and do this and this and has done by me. But why do I need that? Mm -hmm. You do in most games you do. So it's, yeah, symbols would probably be my now go-to demo game. So Maria, one of the changes we also saw with Gaining Grounds 1 is is kind of a, an interesting ramp up um, on the schemes, right? So we see that it for most schemes, it's medium to easy to score a first point, but wicked harder to f- score a second point. And the, my first concern when I saw that was uh, it's going to cause us to have a bunch of 4-4, four, 3-3 four, three, three games. Um, first of all, do you like that? Do you like that idea that the second, po- the second point is going to be tough? Uh, yeah, I do, because it's less likely just by pure coincidence to score it. So the better person will hopefully likely win the game. But it also means you have to think about the second point. Or if you take a scheme where it's like, well, if I'm really lucky, I score the second point, but you don't count with it. When you look at your scheme pool and the strategy, before you start a game, you have in your head an idea. If there's public enemies, you know you're not going to score four points of public enemies. It's just not going to happen ever. So you know your schemes count a lot more. But right. if you have sense like, okay, I need to focus a lot on strategy, but if I do that, I score four points, then the schemes are less relevant. So I think it needs mm-hmm. to be part of your planning how accessible the second point is. Because as you said, the first one is almost given unless you really screw up and forget which scheme you took or things that happen. Um, then you might not get that. But 
normally if your if your game goes somewhat to plan, you automatically score the first point. So you don't think about it. It's when you pick your scheme, is it like, can I go for both second points or can I just completely neglect one? But I take a scheme where the first point is almost a no-brainer, like having Big Jake killed, for example. Then you take that and focus on the other one. So I don't think it's a game where you can go in planning to get all eight points against a very good opponent. You need from the beginning thing. If I'm lucky and everything goes with red jokers where I need them to be, fine. But if it's not, if it's a close game, which most games will be, if you're on the same level, you need to plan. Yeah, that's interesting, Marie. And I have to say, I don't think I've like, I don't think I've thought about it the same way you have, but it makes complete sense to me is that the relative importance of that second point can vary based off of how many strategy points you think you can score, right? And, and what could determine that is you look at the strategy and and your crew is limited, right? It caps because of the crew. It caps potentially because of the matchup. Suddenly, those second points mean a lot more. But if you're looking at that strategy and going, I'm going to have a good chance of getting three or four points on this. Um, and I don't think my opponent, if, if things go my way, or, is going to stop me. Suddenly, that second point matters less. I don't think I've ever thought about the relative uh, weight of that second point. Cody, what is your take um, as far as how st- uh, schemes work now? Yeah, I think... Um I think Maria is pretty spot on there. Um, the way I've been playing the packet is I take one scheme where I can pretty much guarantee I get two if I'm in a good position, as long as I'm not losing attrition. I can pretty much guarantee the two. And then one scheme where I can get one because there are a lot of schemes in the packet where if your opponent decides to deny you that point, they just can't. Like sabotage. They can put a marker next to that terrain feature and sit on it. And like I can... It might take me 15 AP to stop you from denying me that second point. So why even come into the game with that sort of assumption? I'm just going to have to hope that they have to spend AP elsewhere to score their points and they don't have time to deny me mine here. Um, I will say that uh, in, so I do respect the difficult balancing act that the developers have to do with this because like we were saying before about the strats, if the schemes are too easy, the game devolves into table to win. And if the yep. schemes are too hard, the game devolves into table to win. So you have to find a decent little middle ground there, which is very difficult. Um, and I think they that this packet is a little bit towards the too hard uh, to score in a way that a lot of my games have been down to oh, I killed your 11 stone model on turn two. You know, would you like to shake hands? Like, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, you know, you're looking at the packets, like I'm going to be able to deny at least one of your schemes, whatever you took. You're not going to be, you didn't flip the, the symbol on turn two, so you can even score four. Um, right. We're playing public enemies, so you can't score more than two in general. <laughs> like, so I think this one is just leaning a little bit towards that uh it's a little too hard so it's a little too killy uh, for my taste well and uh, our best malifaux games come down to turn five right where we go into turn five and we really don't know who's going to win and what we don't want to see is exactly what cody talked about which is in the first two turns we've decided right we've decided unless someone is just an idiot who's going to win this game marie do you find this edition gaining grounds one more like uh what cody's talking about where who's going to win is determined earlier in the game than usual um I think that 
probably is true for still gaining ground zero as well. It depends so much on crew selection. If my opponent takes some linchpin model they need, if I take that model out early enough, then like, most games are going to crumble. And it, right. it's also, I think it's a little bit about redundancy in some ways, because uh, I don't even remember which model it was. One of the Titania models I played. That was the first game I played against her. I killed a model. And then after the game, I was like, yeah, you killed her because that was my model to achieve that scheme. I didn't even know that it was the first (laughs) game I played against her. But it's like, if, if you have one specific model, that's the only model that can achieve something. It will be very hard if you lose that model. So I guess it's, it is much harder and killing is quite important, but killing is not as easy as it used to be for a lot of yep. crews. So it's more that you can't rely on one model doing the job necessarily. And it's, I know the Victorias are quite flexible, but most crews are, and it's quite often people that are not flexible, not necessarily the yeah. crews. Well, and I think that's some, there's some hidden really good advice in there, Maria, which is um, be very careful bring in the one model that's going to score you three points in your head, because if that model's gone, what are you going to do? And having that redundancy and and you're also, you know, are kind of pumping up the VIX a little bit because one of the points that both of you made is that all the models can score. All the models are, are threats in their own way as far as scoring points. Cody, any last thoughts about gaining grounds one? Yeah. I, I think I may have overstated my position a little bit in terms of how important I think the early turns are, because at least in terms of reference for, gg1 because i mean just by the nature of malifo like turn three initiative flip and turn five initiative flip matter like way too much um yeah but that's just how the game works um but i think at gg1 there is a lot of like games that come down to my turn five initiative flip because of like catch and release vendetta claim jump tank prisoner all of these are reliant on you having the last activation turn five Um, Mm -hmm. So that initiative flip has got a little too important for my taste. And uh, turn three is also very important because it feels more killy in general too. Yeah. The, the, the game state by turn three is set, right? We, we kind of know where all of the action is going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, where, where points are going to be scored or where the points are going to be denied. That's usually well established by turn three. Um, so I can definitely see where that's the case. Um, Cody, do you have any plugs? Yeah. Listen to Swamp Fiends uh, available on all the little media outlets for podcasts. Um, join our discord and give us episode suggestions. Sure. Uh, we'll talk about whatever. Uh, so yeah. Let me say, so the premise of the podcast is I have played a decent amount. And then my co-host, he had played four games before we started. So the whole premise is that we're talking about improving your play. And that's what our episodes are for. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, Cody. I think, uh, one, it's a very different voice than we've seen, not only in the current landscape for Malifaux content, but I think it's very unique Um even from the content that was coming out in second edition, I think the approach is, is good. You get the perspective who uh, from somebody that um, is very good at the game and has a good head for it. And then, of course, Cody, you're on the show, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, saw it coming. <laughs> that, that was so obvious. I telegraphed that so well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll have a link to the show notes for, uh, for Swamp Fiends. Maria, is there anybody, any shout outs or any plugs that you want to put in? 
No, not really. I think the UK scene is, well, on hold at the moment, but it was yeah. very slowly starting up after um, the change from second to third edition. So I'm mostly waiting for tournaments to come back, but that's... <laughs> I miss it. I miss it. Either of you playing Vassal? Maria, are you playing Vassal? No, I tried it once, but it's it's just not the same feel as being yeah. in the same room with a person on a table from measuring and all of that. It's I'd rather focus on painting, which I have neglected mm-hmm. for years. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Cody? You played Vassal at all? No, nah, I, I spend too much time in the dojo to be messing with computer games, yo. <laughs> so, for those of you that are not familiar with the dojo, one of the things that Cody uh, has gotten a little infamous for is this concept of Cody loves to play Malifaux against himself. Um, it's what I call the kitchen table strategy of uh, for Cody. So, Well, guys, uh, guys, I appreciate you both coming on. Um, I think this was very interesting. I was really, um, I'm not hearing a lot about the Vic, so I was very excited to have this episode to, to kind of reveal to everybody that um, there there's value in this crew. Um, and part of the reason I think that we haven't heard a lot about the VIX is because Levy exists. Um, Zip exists and Zip is very good in very specific uh, specific situations. Um, it's nice to hear that uh, there's play here. Uh, and for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right. Maria, have you played the Von Stuck matchup? I think it was my second ever game against the Probably. Yeah, so I I did play it, but I don't really remember. I mean, I, I haven't played it, and I was just wondering if it is as bad as it seems. No. It's, it definitely reads bad on paper. That's yeah. I think it's to, to, for me, mostly how good the opponent is has a big impact and the crew that I actually feel sure. it. Yeah, sure, and sure. that's is kind of having played the von Stuck matchup against someone who said, oh, this is my third game of Malifaux. I was like, well, I have oh, no okay, idea right. what, <laughs> what yeah, yeah, yeah. to because my first game against Tara was an 8-0 tabling on my side. So I won 8-0. But it's not because the Vicks are great or I'm that great. It's just my opponent had no idea what Tara does and just run yeah. around and had them killed one by one. Yep. So it's, All right. Um, we're we're going to bring it back. I think I'm going to start with you, Cody. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll uh, then we'll just toss back and forth um, in the conversation. 
All right. As I'm going through this, I'm seeing all my typos in my call sheet. That's really frustrating. Um, all right. Um, Maria, I think I'm going to start with you. Um, so the idea here is, is, you know, your first five games with the Vix, you played them a certain way, and then you started figuring out new things. And it may be stuff we've already talked about, so don't be afraid to come up with something new. But what did you figure out about this crew after you got the games in that could potentially help somebody starting with the Vix? Okay. We bueno. You're a pro, Maria. <laughs> I'm trying to. Um, and uh, Maria, one of the things that I do love is something that Cody did consciously or subconsciously is don't be afraid to ask each other questions. Um, uh, that okay. t- it tends to keep the conversation going, and I love that. Um, it sounds like so far you guys are somewhat aligned as far as how you play the VIX, but I'm sure we're going to find situations where you guys look at it a little bit differently, which is makes for interesting radio. So true, true building, probably. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I play something that other people don't play, I'm sure. Um, so Maria, I'm probably going to start with you. Um, so when we talk core crew, what I'm looking for is you've, you know, you're playing the VIX. What is the guaranteed hires? You don't need to see the pool. You don't need to see anything. You know, these are the one, two, three, four, five models. So we'll start with the first two models you bring in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll start. No, no, I'll bring us back. Yep. How about you, Maria? Do you bring, bring, let's try that again. How about you, Maria? Do you bring in Big Jake? 